And so once again, if you would turn with me to the book of Numbers, I'm going to read three verses of scriptures, uh, three verses of scripture from uh, the book of Numbers, chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 10, reading one verse in each of those chapters, and then going to the book of Judges, chapter 20. Numbers, chapter 2, and then chapter 7, chapter 10, and Judges, chapter 20. Numbers, chapter 2, and verse number 9. Numbers 2 and 9. All that were numbered in the camp of Judah were an hundred thousand and fourscore thousand and six thousand and four hundred throughout their armies. These shall set, shall first set forth. Numbers chapter 7 verse 12. Numbers 7, verse 12. And he that offered his offering the first day was Nashon, the son of Aminadab, of the tribe of Judah. Numbers chapter 10, verse 14. In the first place went the standard of the camp of the children of Judah, according to their armies. And over his host was Nashon, the son of Amminadab. And then Judges chapter 20 and verse 18. Judges 20 verse 18. And the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God and asked counsel of God and said, Which of us shall go up first to the battle against the children of Benjamin? And the Lord said, Judah shall go up first. Judah shall go up first. And so we are today going to be looking at part four of this lesson that I've entitled Judah First. Judah First. Would you put your Bibles down, lift your hands, lift your voices. Let's ask the Lord to help us today. Everybody, let's talk to the Lord. Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, praise God, praise God, praise God, amen, amen, amen. God bless you, you may be seated. We're going to uh, do a bit of a review uh, in as much as I was gone last Sunday, and uh, again, I do appreciate your prayers for us when when we are gone, and I do feel the strength of those prayers. Um, we're going to go back and look at some things that we have discussed in our previous lessons before I get into today's portion of this study. And as I have 
pointed out to you, we've seen through these verses of our text that in each verse, God specifically ordered the tribe of Judah to be first in whatever it was that the Israelites were ordered to do. He bestowed a very distinct honor upon Judah to be the lead tribe. Even though they were not the greatest tribe, nor were they the first. But God, in his wisdom, bestowed this honor that whether the Israelites were fighting a battle, giving offerings, or simply moving forward, the tribe that was to lead the way was the tribe of Judah. And we've talked about the reason why. I've explained it to you in these lessons. Uh, It was not because of Judah himself. It's not because of who he was. For Judah was not all that honorable in his life. In fact, he was really more known for dishonorable deeds than he was for honorable deeds. And so God wasn't giving this honor to the man Judah, but he was giving this honor to the meaning of the name. And I believe that with every fiber of my being. As I've pointed out to you, Leah had had three sons already. And with the naming of each son, she was looking at the attitude of her husband. But with the birth of a fourth son, she then turned her direction where it should have been all along. And she said, now will I praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And so she named this fourth son Judah, which means praise. Hallelujah. And I believe that's the reason why God would look down upon this tribe and say, if you're going to battle, I want praise to go first. Amen. If you're giving offerings, I want praise to go first. If you're just trying to go forward, I want praise to go first. In whatever it is that you are trying to accomplish, I want praise to be the first movement out of the camp. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. Praise God. Even when God chose a tribe from which the promised Messiah would come, And we've talked about the fact that God made this promise in the Garden of Eden with the very first man and woman. God promised that there would be a deliverer born. That woman would give birth to one that would bruise the head of the serpent. God could have chosen anybody to bring forth that child. But God looked down in his wisdom and he said when Messiah comes, he's coming out of Judah. He's going to come from praise. Hallelujah. Amen. The psalmist said it this way. When we enter into his gates, we ought to enter with thanksgiving. When we come into his courts, we ought to come in with praise. 
I'm not saying we don't have problems. I'm not saying we don't have trials. I'm not saying we don't have difficulties. And there is a time and a place to present them before the throne. But I'm just telling you when you make your entrance, when you come before him, you ought to come in thanking him. You ought to come in praising him. You ought to come in worshiping him. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen, amen. Now, I don't know. I don't know. Somewhere down the road, we may, we may do a lesson on worship because worship and praise are not the same thing. Though praise can come from worship, they are not the same thing. Amen. Praise God. But I do want to say that worship only comes from a heart of consecration and dedication and is many times associated with sacrifice. But when it comes to praise, the psalmist said, let everything that hath breath, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. He didn't put any stipulations on it. He, he didn't say you got to be a certain degree of righteous. He didn't say you, you got to have lived for God so many years. He didn't say you got to be absolutely perfect. He just said if you're breathing, you ought to praise God. Well, let me tell you something. Not one of us had a promise we'd even live to see this day. Not one of us had a promise we'd open our eyes this morning. Not one of us got that kind of a guarantee from heaven. But God let us live another day. We ought to be praising him. We ought to be glorifying him. We ought to be magnifying him because he's been good to us yet another day. The devil wants us to be focused on all the bad. He wants us to get focused on all of our problems. He wants us to be focused on our illnesses, our sicknesses. Well, sometimes it's hard not to be. But I'm just going to tell you, when we come before the presence of God, we ought to come in with praise. Because I can tell you from firsthand experience, there have been times I didn't feel like even being at church. There are times I didn't feel like lifting my hands. I didn't feel like lifting my voice. But I found if I would just praise God in whatever way I could, it wasn't long until all those bad feelings had left. Amen. I'm telling you, there have been times God has healed my body just because I was praising him. Not because I asked, not because somebody anointed me with oil, but just because I was praising him. God still inhabits the praise of his people. God still dwells in the praise of his people. Hallelujah. The devil wants us focused on the devil. He really does. He wants us to come in and be focused on how the devil's been fighting us. Well, the devil's been beating on us. Well, the devil's been attacking us. Well, what do you expect him to do? He's the devil. I, I, I've got a book, or I had a book. I don't know if I, 
gave it away in the move. I got rid of a bunch of books in the move, got rid of a bunch of things in the move. In fact, uh, regretfully, I got rid of a whole closet full of skinny clothes, thinking I'll never be that thin again. I won't need these. Gave them all away. I still don't know that I'd fit into them yet, but Lord willing, I may, but it's too late now. But anyhow, there was a book. That's where I was headed. I had a book, and the title of the book was You Can Trust the Communists. And the subtitle was To Be a Communist. That's right. You can trust a communist to be a communist. That's the only thing you can trust them to be. Doesn't matter what they lie about. Doesn't matter what they say. They're going to be a communist. I'm not going to get into politics today. Uh, boy, I'd like to. I've been trying to bite my tongue. It's awful hard. They're trying to put somebody on the Supreme Court that number one doesn't even know what a woman is. <clears throat> That's what she said. She couldn't define it. Now, if she can't define it, I'd like for somebody to ask her, are you one? How do you know you're one? You can't define it. She, um, she has given pedophiles the most lenient uh, sentences that she possibly could, even defending them. And then the most recent thing, she said she doesn't know if we're born with rights from our creator or not. Now, I don't care what her gender is, and I don't care what her color is. The woman shouldn't be on our Supreme Court, period. I'm, i, I got to stay out of it. But anyhow, you can trust the communists to be communists, and the communists and the socialists are controlling our country right now. That's where I was going with all that. But anyhow, let's get back on the lesson before I make some people mad. <clears throat> it's the truth. It's just the truth. All right, I got to move on. I got to move on. I'm on. Something else is going to rise up in me here, and it's not going to be Holy Ghost. If you're supporting somebody just because of their color, you're a racist. If you oppose them just because of their color, you're a racist. It doesn't matter either way. If you're looking at color and not belief, you are a racist. Let's look at what they say and what they do. Well, hallelujah, it's a truth. Anyhow, help me, Jesus. I got to get back on my lesson. Pray. So, 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 you, you can trust the devil to be the devil. That's where I was headed with all this. You can trust the devil to be the devil. He's a liar and the father of lies. Jesus said when he tells a lie, he speaks of his own. That's what he's going to do. So why should you get all upset because he's fighting you and he's lying to you? That's what the devil does. Just recognize it and move on. Get your eyes off of the devil and get them back on the one who has power over the devil. 
And if you start worshiping God and praising God, you might just find the devil will flee from you. In fact, there's two parts to the verse. We often only quote the latter part. People say, resist the devil, he'll flee from me. Yeah, that's true, but that's only part of that verse. The first part says, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And if you're gonna submit to God, you wanna know the first thing you're gonna have to do in submission? You're gonna have to offer him praise because he's the one who inspired the psalmist to say, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. That's a command not from David, that's a command from God. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So if you're going to submit to God, you're going to have to give God some praise. So if you'll start submitting to God, giving him praise, you'll find it easier to resist the devil. You know, if, D, if, if, Eve, if Eve had not stood there and had that conversation with the serpent, she'd have never given in to him. Now look, when I see a snake, I'm leaving Either the snake's going to be gone or I am. But there ain't room for both of us. We had a big old, my wife was reminding me, we were, we were down in Mississippi in our, you know, and, and uh, she reminded me, we drove by that old parsonage where we lived. She was reminding me about that big, the thing must have been six feet long at least, at least six feet long big old snake on our back porch and uh, we called somebody and they said oh it's just a chicken snake well I didn't tell them but I was chicken of the snake (laughs) a six foot snake I don't care what kind he is I don't want him around he's taller than I am I'm telling you, I just see the snake and either he's leaving or I am. But if he opens his mouth and starts talking to me, you better believe I'm gone. So here's Eve carrying on a conversation with this thing. If she would have ended the conversation, she'd have never yielded to temptation. And this is where we get in trouble. The devil starts getting us focused on him and we spend our time talking to him instead of talking to the one who has power over him. You know, I've watched it happen even in services. You guys that are, that are worship leaders, uh, you know, one of the things that, that uh, sometimes we have to learn when we're leading a service, we start feeling spirits rise up. If we're not careful, we'll get so focused on trying to address those spirits and trying to deal with those spirits that we miss out on the one spirit we really ought to be focused on. And I've watched, I, I learned in my early years, sometimes I could try to fight the devil, fight the devil, fight the devil, and all the while things were just getting tighter and tighter and tighter. Whereas if I could get people to focus on God, the Spirit of God will come in. Amen. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. Now, now, don't misunderstand that term. That term standard means a flag. The Spirit of the Lord's gonna raise up a flag. You know what that means? That was the first sign that somebody was going to war. 
they'd raise their flag and then they'd go to war and that's what Isaiah was saying when the enemy comes in like a flood you can count on God to raise the flag and call his armies into war if we can get our focus back on God when the devil starts fighting let's just cry out to God let's just worship God and watch what God will do I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he'll do whatever he can do to distract your mind. He'll do whatever he can do to distract your mind. When you're praying, when you're seeking God for an answer, you're looking for something from God, the devil will start telling you all kinds of things. You're not worthy, you did this, you can't get it, God doesn't want you to, whatever. I mean, he'll start filling your mind full of things. And if you're not careful, you'll just start, you'll, you'll start trying to battle all those thoughts. But I, we, we really need to learn a lesson. And I didn't put this in my, in fact, none of what I'm saying right now is in my notes. But, but anyhow, it's in my heart. So, so look, we, we need to learn a lesson from Jehoshaphat who, who was surrounded. It looked like there was no hope for him, but he cried out to God. And God said, you just send them on out there, but here's what I want you to do. I don't want you to send the warriors out. I want you to get your singers together. I want you to get the choir together and the musicians. And I want them to go out first and let them praise the Lord. And that's what they did. They just went out there and started praising God. And you know what? The enemy ended up killing themselves. They couldn't get out of there fast enough. And I want to tell you something, church. The same thing will happen in here. If we could ever get to the place that we recognize, hey, there's an old ugly spirit trying to rise up in this place. But instead of focusing on that spirit, we just start giving God praise. We just start lifting our hands and our voices. Uh, and we exalt and magnify him. I'm telling you, the enemy won't be able to get out of here fast enough. Hallelujah. So you just praise God. You give God praise in whatever you're doing. Whatever's going on. Whether you're fighting a battle. Whether you're giving an offering. Whether you're just trying to put one step in front of the other. The first thing you need to do is give God praise. Judah needs to be first. Amen. Now we talked about we talked about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. John 4 and 24 tells us that. And, and then I, I went through and gave you scriptural reasons a few weeks ago for everything that we do in an apostolic service. I went through and showed why we pray together out loud rather than just one person praying. I, I showed you from the scripture why we lift our hands in the sanctuary. I showed you verses of scripture as to why we run the aisles and even why we roll in the floor from time to time. I, I feel like I had a good scriptural verse to back that up. And then why we sing with all our hearts and why we play musical instruments. You know, there are those churches that say we shouldn't use music in the church. 
and yet there is scripture to show us why. I showed in the scripture why we cry and weep and wail and moan. I showed why we clap our hands, why we shout unto God, why we dance, why we leap. There's a reason behind every facet of praise that goes on in an apostolic church. There really is. There really, really is. There's a reason behind it. And if, if by chance, something goes on that I didn't enumerate in that list, I think we'll probably cover it before I'm done today. If there's something that happens in an apostolic church during a worship service that I didn't just now name, I think there's a good chance it's going to be covered by what I'm about to take you through. Uh, now, still in review, still in review. I'm trying, I'm trying. But we, I, I actually got to start a little earlier today. Thank you, Brother Nelson. So I got a little bit more time. So if we get out on time, you can thank Brother Nelson for being prompt and punctual today. Praise God. And uh, turning the floor to me a little earlier than usual. So that gave me time. Hallelujah. But I, I, in our last lesson, this was two weeks ago in our last lesson, I took you through 1 Peter chapter 2. Verses 9 and 10, uh, you're a chosen generation, royal priesthood. I went through the W's, uh, the questions that are asked, and I focused especially on verse 9, giving the why, why we praise the way we do. And Peter said it's, it's that, and the word that in the original means uh, the purpose or the end, in order that, with the design in other words, what this particular Greek word is saying, when Peter said that, he's saying this was the whole purpose in the beginning. God did all these things. He made you a chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation, peculiar people. For the very purpose that you would show forth his praise. That's the reason. Not watch forth. Not listen forth. But show forth. That's why God saves us. That we would show his praise. But I worship God in my heart. I understand. And I also understand that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so if it never comes out of your mouth, there ain't much in your heart. Well, I'm feeling that grouchy old man spirit coming on me here today. I, 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 had, I had one pastor tell me one time, said, his wife told him, said, you can't even get anointed unless you get mad. I, I, I don't think that's the case with me. <laughs> Sometimes it might help, I don't know. Sometimes it might be beneficial, but, but anyhow, I'm not mad today. I'm just trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you, amen, that this is the purpose of God in your life. He saved you so that you would show forth praise. Amen. So when you sit and tell me, well, it's just in my heart. I'm worshiping God in my heart. I'm telling you that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. And so if there's not something coming out of your mouth, you may not run, you may not jump. But if there's not something coming out of your mouth, there's not very much in your heart.
Well, glory to God. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. I'm going to tell you, there ought to be, the, in, especially, especially among the truth church members, with everything that God's been doing, with everything that's been going on, I'm telling you, every time we get together, it, it ought to just be testimony time. We ought to be just sharing what good things God's doing. Our hearts ought to be full of praise. Our hearts ought to be full of praise. And if our hearts are full, it's going to come out our mouth. That's what God intended. That's why God saved you. That's why he saved you. He didn't save you to sit on a pew. It's not why he brought you into the church. He didn't bring you here so he could add numbers to a congregation. He brought you here to show his praise. We ought to be showing it to other saints. We ought to be showing it to our guests. We ought to be showing it to the devil. But most of all, we ought to be showing it to God. If anybody needs to see how grateful we are, God needs to see it. I'll say that again. If anybody needs to see how grateful we are, God needs to see it. We need to show our praise to him. You know, we've used the analogy of sports many, many times. Why do you think that, that these fans paint themselves in their team's color. Why do they do that when they go to a game? What's the purpose in that? It's to show the players we support you. That's what they're doing. Why do they wear those colors? Why do they wear their logo? So they can let everybody else know. I support this team. Well, that's the whole purpose. They want everybody to know. I mean, I've seen them buy red cars. They, they want, they want, they, I'm not preaching as red cars, but they buy them specifically so they can support the chiefs. And then they put, and then they put, because some of you, some of you got red cars, and I'm not preaching against your red car, Brother Jerry. I know he's, he's, he's insisted, yeah. So I'm not, I'm not pointing, I'm not. I'm just saying some people did it strictly for that reason. That's, that's, that's the reason. And then they're going to put their flags on their windows, and they're going to put their bumper stickers on, and they're going to put decals everywhere, and they're going to let the whole world know I'm a Chiefs fan. I've seen them buy the personalized license plate, Chiefs fans, and whatever else they can put on there or the number of a particular player. You know why they're doing it? They want the whole world to know this is the team I support. Why can't we be that way about the God we serve? Why can't we be that way about the one who came, gave his life, bled, and died for us? 
Why can't we drive down the street trying to tell people this is the team I support? I support Team Jesus. We're going to wear our ball caps showing teams of others. What, what about our truth church ball caps? Well, I mean, if we're going to wear one, why don't we announce to the world what team we're supporting? All right, I'm off the subject. And I, I said I was going to finish this lesson today. And I, let, me, <clears throat> let me get back to my notes. So, that you should show forth the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Are you thankful that he called you out of darkness? Are you glad he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? Now, I'm going to tell you, if he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, everybody should have shouted amen when I asked that question. So I'll ask it again. Are you glad that he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light? If you're glad, then you ought to show forth the praises of the one who did that. You ought to show this world, I'm going to praise him. I'm going to give him the glory. I'm going to give him the honor. He deserves my praise. Oh, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. Now, let's try to get into today's part of the lesson. Because praise is so important. I do think that it is necessary that we fully understand what the word praise means. Now to do that, to do that, let me first remind you that when the church was founded for the first number of years of its existence, it was made up entirely of Jewish believers it was not until many years after Pentecost that the first Gentile came into the church the early church was 100% Jewish the earliest church was 100% Jewish hallelujah now because of that they had only one Bible to preach from or from which to preach they had only one Bible, and that was the Old Testament. All of them had been raised that when they went to church, no matter what their native tongue may have been, no matter in what country they were born, when they went to church, they spoke Hebrew. It was their religious language, it was the language of their forefathers. In fact, it really was their native tongue no matter 
where they were born. Because their parents, if they were really devout Jews, were going to teach them Hebrew before they taught them anything else. And the first words that those children would hear when they're born would be Shema Israel. Hear, O Israel. Hebrew. They're going to hear Hebrew from the very start. They're going to know and understand Hebrew. And so this is where we are at a bit of a disadvantage. Because in that early New Testament church, they understood what was discussed in the Old Testament. They understood it from the original language. And so for us, we just see the word praise throughout the Old Testament. But it's not always the same word. There are different words. Now, Brother Savala, when he was with us uh, some months ago, he went through several uh, Hebrew words, defining them. Um, I'm going to go a little deeper than what he did. Um, he didn't cover all of them. I'm going to do my best to go through seven Hebrew words that are all defined praise in our English Bible or translated praise in our English Bible because I think you need to understand what these words really mean. And I believe that real praise is going to reflect one or more of these terms every time we participate in it. All right? So it's teaching time. I've done my preaching. It's teaching time now. And I want to go through these seven Hebrew words and, and talk about what they mean and help us to have an understanding of what this is all about. And I think some of us get into our habits that we just praise God in a certain way. And I think it would be good if we understood there are more ways to praise him than just our standard routine. So the first Hebrew word that I want to talk about today is the word yada. Yada, it, it means to throw out the hand, to extend the hand, or to worship with extended hands. Yada involves the hands. This is, this is why you know, and, and I gave scripture that says, uh, the Apostle Paul said, I would that men would pray everywhere lifting up holy hands. But you have to understand there was a reason behind it. I gave the scripture before, but I didn't explain the reason behind it. But the reason that Paul said this ought to be going on is because Paul, as a Jew, understood fully that this was a, uh, a form of praise unto God. It involved the extending of the hands. Now, in, in fact, this word, when you start looking at this word uh, in the original, you go to a lexicon. For those of you that are not familiar with what that is, a lexicon kind of gives history and breakdown of words. Um, and, and so the lexicon shows that this word yada, the opposite of this is to bemoan, and it speaks of wringing the hand. 
you know, when, when somebody, you understand, when we say somebody's wringing their hands, that they, you know, it's a, it's a time of moaning. It's a time of sorrow. It's a time of defeat. That's the opposite of yada. One who fails to lift his hands as a part of victorious worship may, in fact, be wringing them in whimpering defeat. Let me say that again. If you come into the house of God and you can't raise your hands, the reason may be because you're sitting around wringing them. You've got an attitude of defeat rather than an attitude of victory. But when we extend the hand unto God, we are showing God we believe things are going to be all right. We let God know, I'm not whining today. I may have problems. I may have difficulties. But I'm not whining about them today. My hands are in the air, extended unto you, because I believe you are a victorious God. Oh, hallelujah. Now, I mentioned this a while ago, but I want to go back and look at the actual verse. Second Chronicles 20, verse 21, Jehoshaphat finds his nation under siege by surrounding nations. So he, he put into practice a very unique battle plan. Jehoshaphat understood that he had no military might to depend on that could deliver him. So he put another plan into practice. Second Chronicles 20 verse 21 read. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord and that, the, that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Now, that they should praise the beauty of holiness. The priests went before the enemy. This word is yada. They went before the enemy, believe it or not, with their hands up. They were lifting their hands, not in surrender to the enemy, but they were lifting their hands with all their strength unto God to show that their dependence was on him. And they were shouting, his mercy endureth forever. You know what they're saying? You may be bigger than us. You may be stronger than us. You may, be, you may outnumber us. But we've got a God whose mercy never fails. And once again, he's going to have mercy on his people. Oh, yeah. Lord, we know we're outnumbered. Lord, we're not afraid. We know we are your children. We're dependent on you. We're believing in your power to deliver us. We stand here today trusting in you. And so they praised their way to victory. And that praise was yada. I'm telling you, 
when you feel outnumbered, when you feel like you are facing certain defeat, when you don't know where else to turn, why don't you try lifting your hands? Here it is, God. Here it is. My sign of victory. This is my sign that I believe you're going to step in and you're going to take care of this situation for me. Well, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We can throw our hands up with power toward the heavens. In the face of the enemy, we can show our dependence on God and thank him for his everlasting mercy that will deliver us from our present problem. Well, hallelujah. Amen, amen. No wonder, no wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 134, verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary. And bless the and Lord. And bless the Lord. Oh, I think we ought to do that right now. I think, I think there ought to be some yada going on in this place today. We ought to extend our hands in the sanctuary and bless God because his mercy endures forever. Listen, the devil thought he had us about a year and a half ago. The devil thought he had us. Amen. A lot of people abandoned ship and gave up and walked away. But God in his mercy has continued to keep his hand on us. And God has turned the tables on the enemy. I think we ought to extend our hands. I think we ought to let God know your mercy endures forever. Praise God. Hallelujah. Be seated. Now, the second, the second Hebrew word is much like the first, and it actually comes from the same root word. Um, but it is a different word with a different meaning. This word is toda. Toda. And as I said, it comes from the same root as yada. Uh, and both words involve the raising of the hands. But toda includes even more. Toda includes the concept of thanksgiving in particular. It speaks of an extension of the hand in avowal, acceptance, and adoration. Toda praise is throwing the hands in the air to praise God for what his word has said that he will do. It's throwing the hand into the air in recognition of what God has already accomplished in your life. Sometimes it was used to thank the Lord for blessings already received. At other times, it was used to thank God in advance, amen, for blessings that had not yet come. It honors God because we're taking God at his word. We are saying we're standing on the promises of God. That's what Todah is. Amen, I'm standing on your promise. I believe every word that you have spoken. I don't question 
what you've said. I don't doubt your promises. It's an offering of thanksgiving for and rejoicing in something that is guaranteed by your word even before I see it come to pass. This is praise in advance. This is praise through faith. You haven't done it yet, God, but I believe you will. It looks hopeless, but I have hope in you. I throw my hands up today trusting in you because I believe every promise in the book is mine. Oh, hallelujah. It is praise by faith. It's lifting your hands by faith. Hallelujah. It's recognizing that no, it's not done, but it's going to be. It's going to be. Hallelujah. I may not even see the cloud the size of a man's hand yet, but I hear the sound of abundance of rain. You know, by the way, that is the order in which that happens. Sometimes we get all that twisted around and, and we, we think that, that Elijah prayed and then he saw the, 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 the cloud and then he said, I hear the sound of abundance. That's not the way it happened. Before he ever went to pray, he said to Ahab, there is a sound of abundance of rain. Elijah heard it before he ever prayed the prayer. Elijah believed it before he ever asked God for it. Oh, hallelujah. And you know why he kept going back to pray? When, when his servant couldn't seem to see anything and there was nothing on the horizon. You know why Elijah kept praying? Because he knew he'd already heard the sound by faith. He knew it was going to come. He just had to keep on praying till it did. Come on, is there anybody at the truth church that says, I've heard the sound? In fact, we've gone beyond hearing the sound. We've seen the cloud. There's an abundance of rain headed our way. And I think we ought to give God some total praise. I think we ought to extend our hand in thanksgiving because the work is done. The promise is fulfilled. This is the year of promise. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love this. Psalm 50, verse 23. God gives a special promise specifically connected to Todah praise. Psalm 50, verse 23. Whoso, whoso offereth praise, now, glorify. whoso offereth praise, the word praise here is todah. Whoso offereth todah, 
glorifieth me. God said, that's how I get glory. When you're offering that praise by faith, you're in the midst of a battle. You've been asking God to do something. You haven't seen the answer, but you just go ahead and praise him anyhow. God says, I get glory out of that. And he said, here's what happens. And to him to that him ordereth that, his conversation aright. To him that ordereth his conversation aright. Will I show the salvation of God? Hallelujah. Amen. I'm telling you, God said you just keep on giving that toe praise. You may not see it. You may not feel it. You may not experience it. You may not have any evidence, but you keep on offering it. And I promise you, I will show you my salvation. I will come through. I will respond. I will answer. Oh, hallelujah. Praise, praise God. Praise God. I got to hurry. I got to hurry. That's only two out of seven. Number three, third Hebrew word used to define praise is shabach. Shabach means to address in a loud tone, to command, to triumph, to glory, to shout. Well, you see, praise, many churches would tell us today, needs to be quiet and reserved. That you're being disrespectful to the house of God by making all that noise and carrying on that way. That's not giving God honor. But I'm here to tell you, Shabbat means to shout God's praise with a loud voice. I'm here to declare today that shouting loudly is very acceptable unto God. Psalm 63, verses one through four. Listen to this, Psalm 63, verses one through four. O God, thou art my God, Uh early will I seek thee, my soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. Now it sounds like he's in a bad spot right now, but read on. To see thy power. This is what I'm longing for. This is what I'm thirsting for. I want to see your power. And thy glory. And your glory. So as I Where have I seen am right now, just like sanctuary. I've seen it in the sanctuary. Because thy loving because kindness, your loving kindness is, better than, is better than life. My lips, My lips shall praise shall thee. thee. Thus I will bless thee this while I live. This is how I'm going to bless thee while I live. I will lift I'll up, lift my, up hands my hands in thy, in thy name. Verse 3 said, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips are going to offer Shabbat. I'm not going to be quiet about this. I'm not going to be reserved about this. I'm going to give a shout unto God. Your loving kindness means more to me than life itself. I'm going to be loud. I'm going to lift my voice. I'm going to yell. I'm going to shout. Psalm 47 and 1, we know this verse, we can quote this verse, but let's read it again. Oh, clap, oh, your, hands, clap your hands, all you people, all you people. Shout, shout, 
shout unto God with the voice of triumph. The Shabbat, the Shabbat, hallelujah. Shout unto God with the voice of triumph. This, this verse is interesting. It says to shout unto God with the voice of triumph. The Hebrew word translated triumph literally means a shrill sound. Barnes notes says that it indicates that we should make a joyful noise in praise of God with such a shout as is usually raised when a victory is obtained. Woo! Right? I mean, that's what we do when we win some. Woo! Oh, clap your hands, all you people, and woo! Woo! It feels good to do that. Woo! He gave us the victory. He gave us the victory. Woo! Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. Now, I'm just... I'm going to give you a spoiler over here. There's not any of these seven that mean to sit quietly and reverently. That's a spoiler alert. These, these, and I'm not throwing stones, I'm just stating facts, but these churches, that they want you just to be real quiet, be real quiet. You know, don't get too excited, don't get too emotional. There is not one scripture anywhere that teaches us that that's acceptable unto God. Not one. It's just not there. It's not in the Bible. And the only time we find silence in heaven is when there is shock and awe at the judgment God pours out on the earth. And for 30 minutes... Nobody can say a word at just how severe that judgment is. And that's the only silence we find in heaven. And Jesus said, we ought to be praying, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, if God hadn't poured out shock and awe type judgment, 
then it's not time for us to be silent. It's the will of God that it be just as noisy here as it's going to be in heaven. I think we ought to be offering that shrill sound of victory. I think every once in a while we ought to let out a little war hoop. Let the enemy know we are not defeated. We're not despondent. We're not even discouraged, devil. We've got the victory. Woo! All right. All right, let me move on. The fourth word. Fourth word translated praise. See, we, we read through our Old Testament, we just read the word praise, praise, praise. We, we have no idea. It's not even the same word. Um, the fourth word translated for praise is Barach. Not Obama, but Barach. Barach means to kneel or bless God as an act of adoration. Well, praise God. Sometimes it's translated to mean to bow down in a worshipful attitude. And I'm telling you, there's something in every Christian that ought to occasionally want us to bow low before the Lord in worship and prayer. In fact, let me give you some scripture here. Psalm 72, verses 12 through 15. Listen to this. For he shall deliver the needy when he crieth, uh-huh. the poor also, and him that hath no help. Right, no, 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 hang on, hang on. He shall deliver the needy. The poor also. Wait, wait, hang on. He shall deliver the needy when? When he crieth. When he crieth. So get an idea of what we're talking about here. Because I want you to see this passage outlines for us a proper time for this kneeling and worshipful attitude. All right, he, he shall deliver the needy when they cry. Right. And the poor also. The poor also. And him that hath him that no help. helper. So, so all of this is when they cry, that's when he's going to help. All right, read. He shall spare the poor and needy. He's going to spare the poor and needy. And shall save the he's souls save of the, the needy. save the souls of the needy. He shall redeem their soul from deceit he's and violence. Re- redeem their soul from deceit and violence. And precious shall their blood be in his sight. Yes. And he shall live. And to him shall be given of the gold of Sheba. Uh-huh. Now listen to this. Prayer also, Prayer shall, also be made shall be made for him, for continually. him continually. And daily. And daily shall he be shall praised. Shall he be barach. Every day there ought to be a time when we humble ourselves before God. And our hearts are bowed low before him in humility and adoration unto God. Daily, daily, this kind of praise ought to go forth. Daily, this kind of praise ought to go forth. There ought to be a time, amen, and I believe it ought to be the starting of our day when we humble ourselves before the Lord in our hearts and in our spirits, amen, and we offer barach unto God. Now, there are times during a service when this might help happen as well. But I do want you to see that this is the one thing that it says ought to be going on daily. 
we're given a promise that if we can bow before the Lord and expect something good to happen, God will respond. This is not stooping to beg, but it's kneeling in expectant worship, praising God and looking for Him to fulfill our needs. Showing that our dependence and trust reside in Him and not in the arm of flesh. Well, hallelujah. Number five. Number five is zamar. Zamar means to touch the strings. To touch the strings. And it is used in conjunction with instrumental worship. Now, the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms, encourages us to touch the strings of instruments and to use them in praise. And again, I gave you scripture that just shows it. I want to now back it up through the Hebrew word, zamar. Uh, Psalm 21, verse 13. Be thou exalted, Lord, in thine own strength. So will we sing. So will we sing and, and praise zamar thy power. Thy power. Praise here involves using instruments to express our rejoicing. It was this kind of praise that went on in the palace of King Saul when the evil spirit troubled him. David would come in with his heart. 1 Samuel 16 verse 23. And it came to pass... When the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took an harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Now let me tell you, there's no power in the instrument. You want to know where the power was? It was in the attitude of the one playing. To all of those who play instruments, amen, let me just tell you, if you're just doing it to show off talent, you're wasting your time. But every time you touch one of those keys on the keyboard or one of the strings on that guitar or whatever it is you're playing, you beat the tambourine or the drums with every stroke. It ought to be an attitude in your heart that I'm doing this to praise the Lord. This is my worship to him. This is my way of glorifying him. I'm doing this to lift him up, not to lift me up. I'm going to tell you, when David got in there in the presence of a man backslidden and full of the devil, all he had to do was get that harp and begin to play. I believe he was singing the songs he'd written out in the sheepfold. I believe he was singing the songs that he'd written about praise to God. And as he touched the strings, he wasn't focused on the evil spirit. He was focused on the great spirit. Amen. The spirit of God. And as as he sang and he praised God the spirit left oh hallelujah it's interesting to note that throughout the scripture we're encouraged to use a lot of volume I, I'm just all I'm doing is giving you Bible today I'm not giving you opinion I'm giving you Bible Let's read, Brother Goff, Psalm 33, verse 3. 
Sing unto him a Sing new unto song. Him a new song. Play, skillfully Play skillfully with a loud noise. With a loud. With a loud noise. That's what he said. Now, look, I don't have time to get into it. I, I wrote a whole book years ago on music. Not every kind of music is acceptable to God. Not every kind of music is acceptable to God. There is music that has the wrong effect upon us, that appeals more to our carnal nature than it does to the Spirit of God within us. That's right. And, and, and I don't want to take too much time here today in dealing with this because it's a separate lesson for another day. But I'm just going to tell you, I've studied it and there are three parts to man. Three parts to man, right? Everybody know what they are? Yeah. They, they are, uh, now we always say body, soul, and spirit, but no, that's fine. That's true. It's, that, that's right. That's just not the order the scripture puts them in. Your whole spirit and soul and body. And the scripture puts body last. Somehow body started getting elevated to the first position when we started talking about it, but. But, but here's the thing. What I found out with music, there are three parts to music. There is the melody, there's the harmony, and there's the rhythm. And each of those parts of music apply or appeal to a different part of man. This is, and this is a study I don't have time to get into, but, but it's, it's a very interesting study. And, and so you've got, you've got the spirit, you've got the soul, you've got the body. And, and if you'll take them in the order in which Paul listed them, and then you take the three parts of music, you have, first of all, the melody. The melody is that part when somebody's just singing a song, a soloist, that's what they're supposed to be singing. That's the lead part, the melody. It's if... You know, anymore with today's music, you can't hardly whistle to today's music. Can't hardly hum today's music. But, but if you whistle the song, that's the tune of the song. That's the melody. And that is the most um, basic level. It reaches the spirit of man. But then you add harmony to that. And when you add harmony to the melody, it produces a richer, deeper sound, but it's more than just the way it sounds. It goes deeper into our being and it touches the very soul of man. Now I'm telling you, good harmony can carry you to places. It really can. You ever hear a group go into some place where the acoustics were perfect and, and just a cappella, no music? They start singing in perfect harmony. I'm telling you, there's nothing more beautiful. The echo of that harmony, and it goes deep within man, reaches the soul. The third part is the rhythm. Now, rhythm is essential to music. Without rhythm, music wouldn't really be music. But rhythm was never intended to take the lead in music. 
Rhythm was intended to be the accompaniment just like, just like harmony is. You know, you, you listen to somebody sing uh, a harmony part when there's no one singing lead and it just doesn't sound right. But when it's added to that melody, then it's beautiful. Well, with, with the rhythm, rhythm appeals to that third and final part of man, the body, the flesh. Rhythm appeals to the flesh. That's why you can be sitting in a restaurant and, and tapping your foot. And somebody says, are you really listening to that music? No, I didn't realize I was tapping my foot. My body is responding. Restaurants have learned, if it's a busy day, if, it's, if you go down to the Golden Corral or to the whatever, you know, one of these buffet lines, and it's a busy, busy time of day, you know what they do? That music that they're playing is usually really fast music because they know your body's going to adjust to the speed of the music you're hearing. And you're going to move through the line faster, you're going to chew your food faster, you're going to get out of there faster. Now, this is true. They've been using this for years. And if it's a slow time and they want somebody to take their time going through the line and pick lots of things, they'll play some soft, slow music. And you'll just take your time and you'll enjoy your meal. But the rhythm affects you. It is, it is a proven fact. The rhythm of a song affects the rate of your heart. Your heart will beat faster to a faster paced song. Your lungs will respond. Your body is connected to that rhythm. You'll breathe faster or slower based on the music you're listening to. If you don't think that hearing something affects your body, just let me try to teach a lesson talking like this and it's not going to take very long before you start clearing your throat some of you are already wanting to why because your body responds to what you're hearing and I'm telling you rhythm when rhythm becomes the number one driving factor in a song it is carnal period that's why we don't listen to rap of any kind with any words because rap is not music it's beat it's just beat that's all there is to it it has taken out every element that could appeal to the spiritual side of man and made it 100% carnal it's been proven now, we got our kids in Sunday school. I can make this statement. It's been a proven fact that you can take rap music. They did it with a, with a bunch of, of mice, played rap music. They didn't understand one word that's being said because they're mice. But when they started playing rap music to those mice, those mice started mating. It was appealing to the, to the base nature of that animal. So we're going to take that and put Christian words to it and bring it in the church? Not while I'm pastor, we're not. And you shouldn't be playing it on your stereos or your, 
You have no business listening to rap music of any kind. Period. And I've been listening to songs and they're great songs and all of a sudden they throw some rap in the middle. I'm just ready to turn it off. I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested. It just destroyed everything I was just listening to. That's not music. That's carnality. But even beyond that, there are other things. There are certain chord progressions. There are certain things. And I don't have time to get into this stuff. I said I wasn't going to it. I'm trying not to get off of it, but I'm trying to get off of it, trying not to dwell on it. But, but there are certain chord progressions that just create tension in you. And, and the world has filled their music with it, and the church has been adopting that and bringing it in. Now, now look, I, I'm thankful for every old song we sang today. I'm thankful for some of the new songs that we sing. And, and I've had people tell me, well, every, every old song was once a new song, and that's true. And we read to you, the scripture tells us to praise God with a new song. So there's nothing wrong with new songs as long as the new song doesn't incorporate worldly styles of music. Well, so, how did I get into all that? Um, oh, because we're talking about loud noise. And he wants us. He wants us to play a loud noise, but he wants it to be a certain kind of noise. Not just any kind of music is acceptable to God. And anytime I start dealing with this, I have, de I have detractors who say, well, you just want everybody listening to Southern Gospel. That is not at all what I said. And that's not the case. not going to hurt you <laughs> probably do you some good but I'm not saying that's the only kind of acceptable music but I am saying you got to ask yourself does this music really lead me into the presence of God when they're playing this music or when I'm playing this music at home can I worship to this music or does this just make me want to shake my body around? What's it appealing to? My spirit, my soul, or my body? Well, that's good teaching, Pastor. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed that. I'll move on now. Oh, let's see, where were we at? What verse are we ready for? <laughs> Thank you. Let's read Psalm 98.4. 94. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, uh -huh. all the earth. Yes. Make a loud, Make a loud noise, noise. And rejoice. And, rejoice. And, sing praise. and sing praise. God likes a loud noise. Psalm 150, verse 5. Praise him. Praise him upon the, him loud, upon cymbals. the loud cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding Praise cymbals. Praise him upon the high sounding cymbals. I'm just going to say it again. God likes it loud. God likes it loud. He really does. Amen, 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 amen. Uh, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. I don't, I don't have much time. I gotta get down here. Number six, number six. The sixth Hebrew word that's translated praise, tahila, tahila. This means to sing and to laud. Psalm 22, verse three. But thou art holy. O thou that inhabitest the praises of thou Israel. Thou that inhabitest the Tehillah of Israel. 
Listen, church. There is no question that when we start singing, and it is singing praise to God, the presence of God moves in. I've watched it happen time after time after time. And, and, and I believe in pre-service prayer and I believe it's important that we come in here and pray before church. But I'm telling you, sometimes we've struggled through pre-service prayer. But the song leader finds the mind of God and gets up here and starts singing and there's something about the people of God singing praise. Tahilah. Singing that praise. The Bible says that's what God inhabits. That's where God dwells. When we are lifting our voices in song unto God, that's where God dwells. We do a lot of singing around here. You've probably noticed. And I like it that way. And I know we get criticized. Folks say, I didn't come for a concert. Well, we're not giving you a concert. We're giving God a concert. We just hope you'll worship along with us. I, I, I'm, I'm, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you are not our audience. In fact, I, I preached a message many, many, many years ago, and I think we've found the link, I don't know, somewhere. Got the link, we can provide it if you want to hear it. Maybe we need just to just get it out and stick it on the website, just for old time's sake, praise God. But... But, um, but th there, there was a message that I preached some years ago, an audience of one. And we really need to rearrange our thinking. We need to rearrange our perspective. We think we're the audience. And when we feel like we're the audience, then we're saying, come on, preacher, preach to me. Well, I don't like that song. Well, how many times are they going to sing that chorus? I'm not trying to be ugly today. I'm just trying to get my point across. I want us to understand you are not the audience. Truth be told, you are the performers. There is an audience of one. And his name is Jesus. And he's sitting on a throne. And he's watching today. And he's looking today and he sees those that applaud and those that don't applaud. Those that raise their hands and those who won't raise their hands. Those that will shout amen and those that don't shout amen. He said he is the audience. We're the performers. We came to perform for him today. And when we're done, I want him to applaud. I don't care if nobody else applauds. I want him to applaud when we're finished and the curtain is closed on this service today. I want God to say, brilliant, perfect. I love that. I love that. Do it again. Give me an encore. Oh, hallelujah. If God were to give you a scorecard on your performance in this service today, what would your score be? Oh, hallelujah. Now, he knows if you're giving it your best. 
He knows. That's the thing about him. His critique is never superficial because he knows the heart. So he sees beyond just the actions. He does see the heart. Amen, 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 amen. God loves it when we sing unto him. This is God's habitation. It's not just general praise where he inhabits, but it is this particular kind of praise, Tahila, that he inhabits. Now, it's more than just singing. And it's more than just spirited singing. Um, this word, Second Chronicles 20, verse 22, let's, let's read this. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Now, here's what's interesting. He says they began to sing and tahila, which also means sing. They began to sing, and then at some point, Brother Nelson, they really began to sing. They started out just singing, but at some point, it went beyond just singing. And this singing was singing praise. And when they did that, that's when the Lord set ambushments against the children of Am and Moab, Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. It wasn't just when they started singing, but it's when that singing went beyond just the words of their mouth, just the melody, the melody and the tune that they're producing. But something was coming out of the depths of their heart, and they were singing praise. All right, I got to hurry. I got to hurry. I've got five minutes to cover the last one. You'd think I could do it, but I don't know. Because this last one is really important. The final Hebrew word that I'm going to focus on today, the seventh of these, which again, we've talked about the seven churches, seven being God's number of completion perfection God does want perfect praise and perfect praise I believe is going to involve all of these not just one not just our favorite kind but perfect praise we're going to incorporate all of these at some point so number seven is halal halal you might recognize is the root of our word Hallelujah. The Yah on the end, J-A-H, is from Yahweh or Jehovah. So hallelujah is halal to Jehovah. Are you with me? That's all hallelujah. That's what the word means. It's giving a halal to Yah or to Jehovah. It's not just a word that we shout out. 
It's a kind of praise. And it means to shine. It means to boast. It means to rave. It means to be clamorously foolish. Now the word clamorous means noisy, boisterous, vociferous, uproarious, blustering, loud, brassy, deafening. Now, to be clamorously foolish. Clamorous is noisy, boisterous, vociferous, uproarious, creating an uproar, loud, brassy, deafening, and doing all this foolishly. Now, it doesn't mean that the worshipers act foolish. What it means is that our worship, our praise, has reached a point that it will appear foolish to everyone else. Which is what happened in Acts chapter 2, verse 13. Read Acts 2, 13. Others mocking said, Others mocking said these men are full, these men are full of, new of new wine. They looked at this group of people who were praising God after having just been filled with the Holy Ghost. And from all they could tell, there were a bunch of drunks. Now, they didn't just say they've been drinking new wine. When they said they're full of new wine, they're claiming these people have reached the point where they are absolutely, what's a good term, doused. Uh, I mean, they have become a drunken sot. They are out of their heads drunk. That's what they're saying when they say they're full of new wine. Not just they've been drinking it. So you tell me someone that's absolutely out of their head, stone drunk. Do they just sit reverently? Quietly? Our Father, I thank thee this day. Oh no, oh no. See, one of the things that drunkenness causes is a loss of inhibition. You're no longer inhibited by what people think. Suddenly, all filters are gone. They're gone from your mouth. They're gone from your eyes. They're gone from your feet, your hands, your will. You've lost all control. And the wine is fully in control. And that's what they were saying about these people at Pentecost. They are acting like They've reached a point they don't even have control anymore. Now that's not just running an aisle. That's not just doing a little dance. Or doing what I see is becoming popular in Pentecost today, the bunny hop. That's my way of describing it. Once the music starts, everybody just does this same little hop. They're just bouncing to the beat. And it's all just, just, you know, you want to start saying, here comes Peter Cottontail. That's probably the first time in all my ministry I ever sung that song behind the pulpit. <laughs> Mark that one down for posterity's sake, all right. Now, 
I'm not going to get done in time. In fact, my time's up. You'll stay with me a couple minutes, won't you? All right, all right. So this is the type of praise that is most often associated with the apostolic church, or at least it should be. This halal. This loss of control. I remember. I've been in Pentecost long enough. I've been around it for 50 years. It didn't used to be a bunny hop every time the music started. In fact, my pastor used to say, you can tell by what, you can tell what kind of service we had on Sunday night if you'll just walk down to the church Monday morning and start looking for bobby pins. He said the ladies will have shouted their hair everywhere. There'll be bobby pins everywhere. In fact, he would go in. If he went off to preach for somebody, he'd try to find time to get into the church when nobody else was there. And he'd walk down the aisle, shake the pew, and see if there was any movement to it. And he said if the pews are tight, there's not any action going on in this church. Well, you know, you can bunny hop between the pews and not stir anything up. But the kind of worship I used to see as a child, when they just lost all inhibition... And they're spinning and they're jumping and they're carrying on. There was no control. They gave all control over to the Lord. That's when we start reaching halal. And we just sit back and say, hallelujah. Now, you don't even know what you're saying. You're telling people to do something you yourself are not doing. Hallelujah means to give that clamorously foolish praise to Jehovah. And simply saying the word is not performing the action. And do you understand? When I talk about praise, and I point to the book of Psalms, what psalm comes to mind? What? Psalm 150, thank you. That's one many of us can quote. Right? Now, I want to tell you something about Psalm 150. In fact, th- this is not in my notes, but, but get your Bible. And I know I'm over time, so I'm going to try to hurry, but get your Bible. Turn to the book of Psalms. Go to Psalm 146. Psalm 146 and verse number 1. Psalm 146, 1. Read. Yeah, it comes before verse 2. Praise ye the Lord. All right, now, praise ye the Lord. I want everybody to listen to me. That phrase, praise ye the Lord, is the English. The Hebrew simply says, hallelujah. It's just one word in the Hebrew, hallelujah. And then it says, hallelujah, O my soul. Now, that's Psalm 146, verse 1. Go to Psalm 147, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. There it is again. And it is again. Hallelujah. This is 147 now, verse 1. Psalm 147, verse 1. What's it say? Praise ye the Lord. Uh Uh-huh. For it is good to sing sing praises praises unto our our God. God. For For it is pleasant and praise is is comely. So number one, verse one again of 147 says, Hallelujah. Psalm 148, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. Are you getting the message? Are you understanding? It just says praise ye the Lord, but the Hebrew says hallelujah, which means halal to Jehovah. Hallelujah. 
Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Psalm 149, verse 1. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Here it is again. 149, verse 1 is hallelujah. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord a new song in his praise in the congregation of saints. saints. Now we can go to the verses that I had in here already. Psalm 150. Let's just read all six verses and understand that in every case it is the word hallelujah. Read. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. That's hallelujah. Hallelujah in his sanctuary. Praise him in the Hallelujah in the firmament of his power. Praise him for his mighty acts. Hallelujah for his mighty acts. Hallelujah according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the Hallelujah with the sound of the trumpet. Hallelujah with the psaltery and harp. Hallelujah with a timbrel and dance. Hallelujah with stringed instruments and organs. Hallelujah upon the loud cymbals. Hallelujah upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that had breath give a hallelujah. give you the Riggin revised version of Psalm 150. It says, be clamorously foolish unto the Lord. Be clamorously foolish unto God in his sanctuary. Be clamorously foolish unto him in the firmament of his power. Be clamorously foolish unto him for his mighty acts. Be clamorously foolish unto him according to his excellent greatness. Be clamorously foolish unto him with the sound of the trumpet. Be clamorously foolish unto him with the psaltery and harp. Be clamorously foolish unto him with the timbrel and dance. Be clamorously foolish unto him with stringed instruments and organs. Be clamorously foolish unto him upon the loud cymbals. Be clamorously foolish unto him upon the high sounding cymbals. Let everything that had breath be clamorously foolish unto the Lord. Be clamorously foolish unto the Lord. Oh, we ought to do it today. We ought to do it today. We ought to just be clamorously foolish. This is why I said there may be some things that go on in an apostolic church I didn't give in the list, but it fits right here. You might see us doing some things that may go beyond rolling and running and dancing and leaping, but it fits right here. Just being clamorously foolish unto the Lord in praise to him. (laughs) 